Welcome to Sacred Magic. Violet is on a quest to bring sacredness back into our everyday experiences. Anyone can have an extraordinary life when they are able to tap into the sacred magic within. Violet and her guests will be sharing their divine passions, inspirations, and stories of connecting with their sacred magic. We are so happy you have joined us today. Let's get started with your host, the magical creator of Discover Your Spiritual Gifts, Violet Rain. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Sacred Magic Podcast. I'm your host, Violet Rain, and my guest today is Perdita Finn. She is the co-founder with her husband, Clark Strand, of the Pharaoh Fellowship, The Way of the Rose, which inspired their book, The Way of the Rose, The Radical Path of the Divine Feminine, Hidden in the Rosary. They're currently at work on their next book, Circles Not Lines, Spiritual Community Beyond, Harry... I am going to butcher that. And I knew that before I came on here. <laughs> you know what? We got to change that subtitle. That's just a sign from the cosmos. <laughs> We're just going to move it. it. She also, I was reading on your website, you have another book that talks about getting to know the dead. So um, something magic, wasn't it? That I was looking at on your website. Yeah, my book, just, the- my book just came out in September. It's called Take Back the Magic conversations with the unseen world and it's about my lifelong practice of collaborating with those on the other side with the dad and specifically about how i healed after he died with my absolutely impossible father who i now consider not so capable of bringing the impossible and making it possible so we have a relationship isn't that a great story because You know, I get so many clients that come and see me that had very conflicting relationships with parents or grandparents or partners or whatever. And then when they pass, they really want to come and help and make amends or whatever you want to look at that. And so many of them are like, nope, don't want anything to do with them. Don't want to hear. And I'm like, there's healing here, folks. There's so much healing That's the core of my work, Violet. That's the core, which is that, you know, one of the things I always say is when I'm sure you know this, when the dead die, their personalities don't change, but their perspective changes. And they, you know, they really get to see the mistakes they made and what they made because they didn't realize how much love was available to them. And so they do want to make amends. And that's been my experience that even some of the worst monsters we've known want to make amends. But getting to the place where we can let them make amends is a bit of a process. I know that, you know, my husband's um, father died at 91 last summer. And he had a rapprochement towards the end. But after he died, my husband realized he felt safe to be angry at him for the first time in his life. And he couldn't collaborate with him yet. He just had to let those feelings of anger and rage and resentment kind of bubble up and work through. I'm kind of keeping an eye on him because I know his father is sitting there heartbroken, waiting to say, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Let's have some fun together. Let's make amends. And that was certainly been my experience with my own father. Um, You know, my book tells the story of him cutting me out of his will 
And uh, and that was not the first of his crimes, believe me. <laughs> um, and I was so mad at him when he died. And and yet now my father has shown up as the most generous person, practically generous and spiritually generous in my life. And so much so that every morning I pray for his in, next incarnation, wherever he is, I suspect he'd be a little boy about 12 or 13. And I just shower him with blessings because I love him so much. And I didn't, I didn't imagine we were going to get there, Violet. I really didn't. And in fact, I wrote this book about our healing. And after I published it, I had a dream in which both my parents showed up and said to me, I'm standing in the field, and they said, we want to be your parents in your next life. And in my dream, I said, oh, really? <laughs> oh, and then I woke up. <laughs> Get me out of here. <laughs> like, we're forgiven, but uh, <laughs> I don't know that I can do that again. And, and I really felt like, yeah, I'm willing to be your parents. I'm willing to be your friends. I don't know if I can have you be my parents again. And that day, my older sister, who has been on dialysis for a year, called me up to tell me that the doctor had said she's one in a million patients whose kidneys have completely healed and they were taking her off dialysis. And that was on my mother's birthday. So I looked at my parents and I said, okay, I get it. Yes, of course you can be my parents in the next life. I love I love that story. You know, we tell clients all the time that forgiveness is not about acceptance. It's not about saying what they did was right. It's not about forgiving them and saying it was okay for what they did. But forgiveness releases the power and chains that it has on us that holds us back for a more healthy perspective and looking at things, it actually frees us from that hold of that anger and those wounds and all of that that can begin to peel away. Yeah, the story just isn't over and the relationships aren't over. And that's what's really important and empowering. And one of the things I tell people is, you don't have to do spiritual gymnastics to forgive people. What you want to do with the dad is give them an opportunity to show you they are worthy of forgiveness, that they understand the mistakes. I mean, that always feels better. I always say, don't talk yourself into forgiveness, but invite the dead to prove it to you. So for instance, I was really mad at my mother's brother, uh, her, uh, my uncle. And I just, one day I thought, oh, I just, I can't get over how mad at you I am. I'm really mad at you. I can't tell you why I'm so mad at him, Violet, because part of our deal is that I will no longer tell those stories <laughs> <laughs> because he showed up and I got an email out of the blue from the daughter from his second marriage who I didn't even know had my email and I only met twice. That day I said, to, I went over to my ancestor altar and I said, I am so mad at you. And she said, Perdita, didn't your mother die of non-Hodgkin's lymphoma? And she did. And she said, my fiance, fiance is leading the class action lawsuit against Monsanto for all the gardeners who got non-Hodgkin's lymphoma from Roundup. Would you like to be included in the class action lawsuit? And we were. And my grandmother and my, my uncle they were able to send a small, very small, 
little bit of inheritance to all their grand, their grandchildren, great nieces and nephews because of that. And I really have forgiven him so much so that I now feel gentle and loving towards him. It's not like I've forgiven him and talked myself into some tinier knot of irritation. I really welcome him into the presence of my life. The other night, my daughter, who has a chronic illness and deals with a lot of pain, was in a lot of pain. And I often go to be with her during these episodes. And I was sitting beside her, just you know, stroking her head, trying to help her relax. And I felt my uncle walk into the room. And he had been famous as a psychiatrist for helping people feel safe. In fact, he wrote a famous book called A Safe Place. And I looked and I said to him, can you help my daughter feel safe in her body? And now that's my prayer to him every day. And I taught, I feel safe with him. And this was a man, you know, if he had come back from the grave, I might've slapped him on both of his cheeks. Okay, you know, I was mad at him. <laughs> I'm not, we got a new story to tell. And what I tell people is the old stories can be pretty bad, but try and step into a new story to tell with the other side. Well, I, love, I, I love how earlier you're like, I'm not going to tell that story because what people don't realize is when we continue to tell those heartbroken stories over and over and over again, we give it energy and we empower <laughs> it. And when we can move away from it, we shift everything, right? Every, everything. I, I recently, Violet, I just, everything out of your mouth, I just love, by the way, can I just tell you? Yes. <laughs> I've been working in, on creating an oracle deck of my female ancestors. And one of the things I'm doing is retelling their stories from a place of power instead of victimhood, right? You know, how can I retell these stories of these women, many of whom had few opportunities and many burdens and many mishaps, to see them as secret witches and secret saints? You know, they had a lot of magic. And how can I give them back their magic? And I'm, I'm working on the deck really slowly. It's it's part of a project of my next book I'm working on. But, oh, I love telling their stories in new ways. Like, you know, my grandmother, everyone tells the story about, oh, she was so sad. And, you know, she was in and out of mental hospitals and needed electric shock. And she had a stroke and then she died. Like, you know, what a sad, depressing, terrible life. This woman was a magical gardener. Like. As a child, she had gardens that were like out of a fairy tale. Like she couldn't make anything grow. And she made my mother grow. She also made that uncle grow. She, she, could make, she, she couldn't grow herself. You know, she was confined in really terrible circumstances, but she could make things grow. And, and, and she had seeds of magic. And given her life and all of the horrors attached to it, depression was was the appropriate response do you know what i mean like you know she had some bad stuff go down and but she's not just a sad little old lady she was an unrecognized powerhouse of a magical witch and i claim her as that and i give her to my children and they work with her and i pray to her every morning to help make my life grow today and bring it into bloom and she does I love that. I love that. 
So I also want to give a little bit of time. I love these conversations. We're talking about the way of the rose. What is the way of the rose? Share a little bit about that and what all that means, because you got so much going on here that I want to make sure that we get a little bit of all of it. Sure. Well, the way of the rose is a, a, a fellowship, a community that my husband and I founded together 13 years ago. And it grew out of our journey through most of the world's religions and our dissatisfaction with them. And, and we were sort of looking for two things simultaneously. My husband had been a Zen Buddhist teacher, one of the first Rinzai, American Rinzai teachers in America, and he had left because of all the sexual um, catastrophes in American Buddhism. In fact, he'd become the editor of a magazine where he'd exposed a lot of those scandals. And I, you know, I grew up as an atheist, but I have, a, you know, I come from a la large Irish Catholic family. So I got plenty of horror stories, you know, that they've experienced in religion. And we both felt like we were having a really hard time finding a spiritual community for this moment of climate chaos that we find ourselves in. What is the guidance we needed? And that led us in the short story to working with the divine feminine through the rosary. But the rosary we discovered, neither of us is Catholic. Um, the rosary is older than Catholicism, older than Christianity, older even than religion itself. The oldest spiritual practice of our ancestors is beads. And in fact, you can go back 150,000 years in the hominid record and find beads made of stone and shell. We can't even find the ones made of, you know, clay or wood. What was it about beads that made people want to make them? Because it's a lot of work. Was it just adornment? Because we find them in grave sites. We find them everywhere. And we got really curious about this. And we were both drawn to bead practices. Every religion around the world has a tradition of using beads for prayer. And that tradition is older than the religion itself. And, you know, sometimes it's mantra practice. We japa mala in India, they call them, or malas. A lot of people, people want beads around their wrists or around their neck. Why do we love to finger beads and say prayers? And what I would tell people listening is, if you have a bead on you, maybe you do. I always have a bead on me, my ears, my necklaces, you know, take <laughs> And if you don't have a button, grab a button and roll it between your thumb and your forefinger for a minute. And just see how that gesture makes you feel. How does it make you feel? You know, it, it centers, what I find is it very much centers and brings you back into the present moment of all those things. So I can imagine, so it's funny that we're talking about this. So I have a mystery school and I teach the mysteries and one of our paths is sacredness and they're required to make a rosary and people's reaction when they come in and I say, we're going to make a rosary today. And they're like, well, we're not Catholic. Why? And they're like, it has nothing to do with that. We're awesome. going to make something very sacred for you to hold on to, to work with, to spend time with. 
in this very sacred manner that represents you and your sacred path and who you are and what you are. And we're not going to get into, hey, it needs this or that. I want to see what you would put on it. And so I love the story that you're telling. So now I need your book. Well, let me, so let, me, let, let me tell you about that, that gesture. Because in fact, they've done a few studies, not as many as they've done on meditation. But that gesture of saying a prayer while you turn a bead between your forefingers completely relaxes your vagus nerve and completely brings, it can put you in a state. These old Italian grandmothers fingering their beads are in a state that the Dalai Lama barely experiences, okay? They're really having a cosmic experience. And there's a reason that many psychics pray the rosary because of this really powerful liminal space but what does it go back to? Our first gesture as human beings, as primates, is to take our thumb and our forefinger and reach for our mother's nipple. And that's the first gesture a baby makes when it's born. It reaches for the nipple to hold on. And if it can hold on to the nipple, its sweetness, its nourishment, its comfort, its consolation, and that feeling floods through our body, right? It, it literally, there's a hormone in our bodies called prolactin. That is the hormone that lets down when a mother begins nursing and a baby begins feeding. And when we pray the rosary, that hormone floods through our body again. So it's a powerful, powerful thing to make rosaries. And you know, Rosaries are really the old magic of the old grandmothers. And these old grandmothers, you have to imagine them, not as little pious Catholic ladies, even if they looked like it from the outside, but as witches in hiding. These were women often who'd lived in the same villages for thousands of years. They'd seen devotion to Isis come and go, devotion to Sybil come and go, call her Mary, call her Ariadne, call her whatever you want. We know who she is. And we're and they took their bead practice that they'd been doing for thousands of years. And they said, you want me to pray to Mary? I'll pray to Mary. I don't care. You know what I mean? Like, I, I have, we have a, a member of our community. And as a young boy, he went into his grandmother's bedroom who lived with him, an old Sicilian grandmother. And she had a black Madonna on her bureau. And he was confused because, you know, at church, he saw these, what I call the Valium virgins, you know, those little white blessed mothers, you know, that are kind of sexless and bodiless and washed out pastel colored. And here was this black Madonna on his grandmother's bureau. And he looked at his grandmother and he said, you know, granny, is that Mary? His grandmother was fingering her beads there in front of the bureau. And she took a long time. Silence. And she looked at her son and she said, no. <laughs> I mean, what she was saying was, what we're doing here is a little different than what you're doing in church. <laughs> and, and it was all she ever said about it. That's all she'd ever re reveal about the magic. I love that. I love that. You know, we, we, we put sometimes labels on things and we just don't understand. And so a lot of people see them as this or that, but to know that history goes back so much further than that, you know, 
just all that history. I love that. And when you think about it, a baby too will rub blankets and softies between their fingers to soothe themselves, right? It's a soothing you know, when my for the hair. When my children were little, we'd be in bed, you know, putting them in bed at night. And after we'd read our stories and said our prayers, they would pull on my hair and I would pull on the beads. And it allowed me to feel mothered as I mothered. And I think that's one of the things is, if you look around our culture, we have a real absence of feeling mothered. I think that's at the root cause of so much addiction we see in our culture. You know, we, we're seeking our mothering in the wrong places. We want to feel mothered. And, you know, mothers are the great mystery, aren't they? That great dark matter of the universe. And, and I mean, I often say I live inside mystery. And the big I don't knows of the mother. And that that mystery is, is fertile. It's where the seeds go to grow. And it's where we grow. And, you know, we grow in the darkness of our mother's bodies. And think of it, you know, it's dark, it's warm. We're hearing our heartbeat. We're feeling the tightness of our muscles around our body holding us tight. So wonderful to feel held. And when I pray the rosary, I feel held. I love that. I love that. Such beautiful messages today. I'm really enjoying our conversation, but I also want to give, you know, an opportunity for you to share a little bit about how people can connect with you and what they can find and all of that stuff so that we have some insight there as well. Well, I wear sort of two different hats. One with my husband, Clark Strand. We have this fellowship, The Way of the Rose. And you can find out more from our book, The Way of the Rose, and our website, thewayoftherose.org. Everything connected with The Way of the Rose is 100% free. Nothing costs anything. And we have a policy of no teachers, masters, experts. A child can pray the rosary and you can learn the rosary from a child. So come pray the rosary with us. We offer 10 to 12 meetings on Zoom a day and almost 150 in-person meetings worldwide. And they're all free and they're all leaderless and they're all based on a on, a, on an experience of friendship. And we invite people to pray for their heart's desire together and pray the rosary together to the lady by any name you want to call her, be she Black Madonna, White Virgin, or Hot Pink Mama, whatever you want, <laughs> you know, whatever lady you want, <laughs> she's yours. The other thing I do is I do teach people how to collaborate with those on the other side. And that website is takebackthemagic.com. You can follow me on Instagram or Facebook as Perdita Finn. I have a popular Substack called takebackthemagic.com. And I teach a lot of different workshops and offer a lot of different conversations about how we collaborate with the dead and make miracles happen in our lives. And I always say to people, I promise if you come, you'll have a miracle. And everyone always does. I love that. I love that. I love the perspective. You know, I, I think we're opening more and more to that perspective of how do we work with our ancestors, our loved ones on the other side? You know, they're still around us. They're still part of our lives. Um, being able to understand that I think is so important because, you know, people grieve because they've lost them and they're gone. Well, they're not gone. They're here. So how, how do you connect? How do you stay connected? And and, it, and how much better do you feel when you are connected, right? Like it's so nice to feel 
their presence, right? It's so nice to feel, you know, I start my morning, my kids are grown, so I don't have to rush out of bed with a cup of coffee and my husband and I lie there and I fret and worry about my, the 10,000 things I have to worry about today. And to each worry, I ask someone on the other side to help me solve that problem. I, I start that. the day feeling health. I think that's awesome. I love so I invite, that. I invite listeners to do the same and let us know what happens when you do. I think that's awesome. Thank you so much for taking the time to be on our show. And as you grow and find other things that you're working on, please reach back out, get you back on the show and talk some more. It's been so much fun. And if you're ever in Boulder and you come this way, let us know. I'd love to meet you in person too. Oh, Violet, I will. And I'm going to let, oh, we have a big way of the Rose community in uh, Boulder. And I'm going to make sure every single one knows about you. <laughs> <laughs> well, I love that. So thank you very much. I think that would be awesome. And those of you that are listening, thank you so much for listening to our show today. We love our listeners. Please comment, like, and follow us on your favorite channels. And we hope that you'll listen to more of our shows um, in the past or in the future, we're always interviewing wonderful spiritual people doing amazing things out there that you can connect with. So I hope you have a sacred and a magical day and thanks for checking us out. Thank you for joining us. To find out more about Violet, head over to discoveryourspiritualgifts.com. You can also send a personal message to Violet through email violet at discoveryourspiritualgifts.com. If you love this show, subscribe to our podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Spotify. Until next time, remember, we are all meant to have abundant and joyful lives. We hope to see you soon at Discover Your Spiritual Gifts.